Hello and thanks for tuning in. This is Search for Truth, your Bible teaching program with Brian Johnston. It's talk number six today in this series of ten programs, and I remind you that they're all about the model for Christian church life laid out for us in the New Testament. In this series, we're seeking to discover what God intended when New Testament Christian disciples began collective service for God. In today's talk, Brian looks again into the Old Testament at some instructive symbolism from the time of Moses. And now, here is Brian. Thanks. In our last study, we explored the Bible's first mention of what's described as God's house on earth. That led us into the dramatic story of Jacob, the man from whose twelve sons came the twelve tribes of Israel. We considered how, as it's recorded in Genesis chapter 28, Jacob had been told in a dream by God that the place he'd arrived at, quite unsuspectingly, was in reality a special place chosen by God as being in a unique way the place of God's presence on earth. We suggested that the reason why God has placed this on record was because it's intended to be instructive for all time, at least in terms of the principles it establishes. And that was why we studied Jacob's worshipful response and saw how he felt respect for God was of first importance in this special place of revelation, a place where the Lord had been shown to be exalted in authority at the heavenly end of a ladder which reached up into heaven from the exact spot where Jacob had lain down. We also observed that for Jacob, remembering what had taken place would be necessary, which is why Jacob marked the place as different from any other place by setting up a stone pillar and consecrating it with oil. What's more, the revelation he'd received there was immediately affirmed by Jacob, as seen by the fact that he named the place in full agreement with what had been shown to him. And to all these things, Jacob added his commitment and a promise to give something back to God. These, we said, are the striking features of God's house. It's the place where God's presence is revealed in a special way, where the Lord stands exalted in authority, and where heaven is open to a worshipful response from earth, calling for God's people on earth to remember him always and to affirm all that God says about this place, setting it apart in our hearts for the consecrated giving of ourselves in service. All these principles are here presented to us in the story of Jacob, where we find the first mention of the house of God in the whole of the Bible, I say the whole of the Bible, for the theme of God's house on earth runs throughout the Bible, and those same features that we've noted here in Genesis 28 always accompany it. Well, the next Bible character we associate with the developing picture of God's house is Moses. This is the Moses who later led Jacob's descendants out of slavery in Egypt and to the border of the land God had promised to give them, en route And at God's very specific instruction, Moses built what was then known as the tabernacle. If you need to remind yourself of the details of this special tent in which God lived at that time in the midst of all his people's tents, then turn to the book of Exodus, for God devotes no less than the last 15 chapters of that book to it. That fact alone should grab our attention. The creation of this entire and magnificent universe is dismissed in a few words in Genesis chapter 1. But in remarkable contrast, this small, temporary and portable structure known as the tabernacle has all this space devoted to it in God's word. 
and the New Testament returns our thoughts to it in the letter to the Hebrews, where the Spirit-led writer employs these historical things as object lessons which are of vital importance to our present-day discipleship. Regarding the tabernacle, we should notice that this further progression of God's desire to live among men and women on this earth had been waiting until such a time as God had a people who'd passed through experiences later known biblically as redemption, baptism and separation from others so as to be a people who'd obey God's teachings and also worship and serve God at his house. It'll be helpful to summarise the developing Old Testament story of God's house, specifically in these terms, by looking back on them from the New Testament. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, we find Jesus Christ described as our Passover lamb. This is a reference back to the time of Moses, when God first delivered his ancient people Israel out from being in slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt. At that time, he secured the release from a reluctant Pharaoh after plaguing the land of Egypt with ten plagues, which were his judgments on the land of Egypt, the last of which was the slaying of all firstborn sons. All, that is, except for those in whose homes the doorways had been treated with the blood of a sacrificed lamb. As promised, God passed over those Israelite homes when he carried out his final judgment on Egypt with all its false gods. Then, in bitter grief, Pharaoh freed his slaves and sent the Israelites away. And that's how the Jews were delivered from slavery. They were saved by the blood of a lamb, one for each household at that time, a lamb known naturally enough as the Passover lamb. And those lambs are used by God in the Bible as a major object lesson, one of the Bible's great prophetic types or foreshadowings of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for our deliverance from another slavery, this time from slavery to sin. But back to the time of Moses. When Pharaoh realised he was now without free labour, he once again changed his mind about releasing the Israelite slaves and he pursued with his army, chasing after the departing Israelites, who were now discovering that their way was blocked by the Red Sea, as it acted like a barrier in front of them. As hope for their means of escape faded, God commanded Moses to stretch his arm out over the Red Sea, holding out his staff. At this action, the sea opened up so that the Israelites could pass over the dry seabed. When the pursuing Egyptians tried to follow, however... The walls of water collapsed on them, drowning them. And so the Israelites' new way of life began, a life that was to be one of walking with God. When the Apostle Paul, again in his first Bible letter to the Corinthians, refers to the sequel, he uses very interesting language. Let's read it exactly as it is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 2. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, Paul says, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You see how Paul, by the Spirit of God, relates their historic watershed experience in coming out of Egypt to the Christian believer's baptism today. And it's a very graphic picturing of baptism by total immersion in water. I'm sure you'll agree. For the Israelites who crossed the Red Sea, did so by passing between water on either side of them. 
and they also had the watery cloud above their heads. So it's as if they were burying their old way of life and identifying with their new leader, Moses, who was leading them to experience a new way of life for God. And that's a true fit for the meaning of our water baptism as believers on Christ. For Paul adds in Romans chapter 6, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus have been baptised into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Into, under, and up, out of the water again, as with the Israelites at the Red Sea. It's a complete picture of death, burial, and resurrection, witnessing to all who watch our baptism that we are identifying with Christ in his death, with the practical significance that we are promising that we are going to live no longer for sinful things, but to live for the Lord. Then, after the Israelites moved on from the Red Sea shore, they soon came to Mount Sinai, from which God thundered his Ten Commandments. This giving of the law, soon to be known as the Law of Moses, was prefaced by God telling the people of Israel that if they would obey, then they would be for him a special people, a holy nation, and a kingdom of priests. Under Moses' leadership, the people replied in unison that all the Lord had spoken they would do and be obedient. Now, with a redeemed, baptised and obedient people, the stage was finally set for God's desire among them and his purpose through them to be further realised. So straight away, in Exodus chapter 25, God said, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. This is the contribution which you are to raise from them, gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet material, fine linen, goat hair, ramskins dyed red, porpoise skins, acacia wood, oil for lighting, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and setting stones for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them, according to all that I am going to show you, as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. The sanctuary in question is, of course, the tabernacle, as is obvious from the description of the materials and the following chapters detailing of how they were later used to construct that very special tent and to God's design. Yes, we read there that the construction was all to be to God's pattern. There was no scope at all for human ingenuity. This was God's house, so it had to be to God's design. In various ways, the biblical associations of these materials direct our thoughts to the person and work of Christ, the one who is son over God's house today. And if we aspire to make the claim to be God's spiritual house on earth today, a claim also found in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6, then we should do our very best to reflect his character in how we live and how we attempt to adorn his teaching.
As usual, I remind you that with this series of talks, there's a transcript booklet containing all of them, and it's free. So if you'd like one or more, please tell us. Now, I'm about to give you our contact details, so get your pen and paper to hand, because here's our postal and our email address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. I'll repeat that for you. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. And our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, I'd like to remind you that there are alternative ways of re-listening and accessing previous series books. You can do this by looking up www.searchfortruth.org.uk. That's our church's main website, and you can download some actual programmes and listen to them, and you can also download accompanying transcripts or booklets and uh, read them, follow through. Also, www.twr360.org is a website that will give you yet another excellent way of accessing, again, what you first heard here on air. So, many thanks for the privilege of your company today. We do appreciate your interest in these programmes. Next week, Brian looks into the Bible to show how important it is to do things God's way. So I hope you can join us. Until then, very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, our studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So goodbye, and may God richly bless you. <laughs>